The Blevins Franks Report with Rob Kay of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. It's time on the Sunday morning where we join Rob Kay at Riviera Radio. It's Grand Prix time. Um, can we hear the cars? <laughs> and not just yet, Howard, but uh, they'll be along shortly. Hopefully that won't inter- interrupt the rest of Riviera Radio's uh, broadcast this morning, but it, uh, it, does, it doesn't normally happen like that. So, are you well? Yes, I'm very well, thank you very much. But I'm quite intrigued. <laughs> yeah, because last week we discussed uh, the timing of Tax Freedom Day, and France wasn't doing too well now. And today we're going to talk about France being a tax haven. So what's happened to the copywriter here? But before we get on to that, to discuss it, what caught your eye in the news this past week? Well, Howard, we uh, we finally received some good news on the inflation front this week when the Office for National Statistics announced that the UK's headline inflation rate had fallen from 10.1% in March to 8.7% in April. The reading is is higher than the 8.2% economists had forecast and also the 8.4% as predicted by the Bank of England. Now, the Bank of England's uh, internal models show that inflation will not come down as fast as prices rose last year, making its 2% target only achievable in hopefully 2025. The bank thinks inflation will drop steadily in the coming months and end the year at around 5%. April's headline inflation reading was welcomed by the government, who made halving inflation by the end of the year a key target in its economic promises in advance of a potential general election maybe next year. Now, anyone who passed through Nice Airport recently, including all those people arriving for the Grand Prix, will have seen lots of machines, which for now are just covered up. Frequent tra- travellers into and out of Nice may also have been asked at their UK departure point to prove that they are allowed to travel to Europe. Recently, more and more people trying to enter France from the UK have been turned back at the border because their passports have failed to pass the EU's entry rules. Now, if your passport is close to expiring, you can be denied entry to the EU, even if it's valid for international travel. This mainly affects tourists, because if you have a visa or a residence permit, you might be asked to show it, but you won't be denied entry. We should all be aware to enter the Schengen area, a non-EU citizen needs to hold a valid passport, but it must also fulfil two additional criteria. It must be less than 10 years old on the date of entry and it must have at least three months of validity after the date on which you are due to leave the Schengen zone. When you enter the EU, if you've no defined return date, then your passport must be valid for three months after your last possible day in the Schengen area without a visa, which as I think we all now know is 90 days after we first enter. As long as we've, we've not been in the Schengen country area within the last 180 days. People in this situation need six months of validity left on their passport when they actually arrive. If you're a foreign second home owner, I'm sure you will have welcomed the news that supports that supports the, the growing noise in the French Parliament for more flexibility regarding visa rules. Several senators and MPs are now backing the idea of a five-year visa for second homeowners, which would allow visits of up to six months a year during the five-year validity period and separate to the 90 days in 100 Schengen free rules, which apply to non-EU visitors. Across France, it's estimated 86,000 second homes are British-owned, and prior to Brexit, those owners frequently visited for up to six months without any formalities, because they were, back then, EU citizens. These days, second homeowners have to submit a full dossier, go through the same 
in-person visit and process and also pay a fee every time they want a six-month visa. This new five-year visa idea is possible because France is is free to set its own national rules on visas and residency cards in addition to the 90-day in 180-day rule, which is a general Schengen area policy. The French government also indicated this week that after the recent France-UK summit, a more flexible approach will be taken for British visitors as we move forward. So, Rob, can France really be a tax haven? Well, the simple answer, Howard, is is yes, it can be, but it also depends on our perception of what constitutes a tax haven. The Oxford English Dictionary's definition of a tax haven is a country or independent area where taxes are levied at a low rate. If you then interrogate where you find these tax havens, you'll probably expect to find Monaco, Andorra, maybe Liechtenstein or San Marino topping the list. But you'd be surprised. The European list is headed by England, Germany and Ireland. Europe is home to many tax havens, which provide favourable environments for taxation on capital gains, income and also on corporations. In England, foundations and trusts are typical tax haven vehicles which foreigners can use to protect their assets, free or at a reduced rate of tax. England is particularly popular with foreign billionaires who benefit from a lack of income or capital gains tax on investments held outside of the country, which are frequently referred to as the non-DOM rules. Now, foreign investors in Germany are exempt from taxes on interest. The foreign income on non-resident corporations are exempt from taxation when it's in the form of dividends from foreign subsidies or income earned in foreign branches. Corporations benefit in Germany from the German tax environment because only 5% of dividends and capital gains have taxes levied against them. People who live in Ireland but are not resident and are resident elsewhere are able to use Ireland's attractive tax environment. Ireland has a long history of offering low corporate tax rates to encourage foreign companies to relocate business on paper rather than physically. Ireland has a business tax rate of just 12.5% and artists enjoy also tax-free status for their income. Now, before I alienate all our English, German and Irish residents who are visiting for today's Grand Prix, I should quickly add, if you're not a French national but you are living here, or even better, thinking of living here, there are lots of things you can do to re-engineer your financial arrangements to make France your very own tax haven. So how does France tax income and how does it compare to the UK? Well, as we discussed last week, Howard, and you mentioned in the introduction, France has the second latest Tax Freedom Day in Europe. This year, Tax Freedom Day will arrive in France on the 17th of July. In the UK, it arrived two weeks ago on the 14th of May. But as we all know, with tax, the devil is in the detail, and statistics can be influenced to to illustrate the issues that are trying to be highlighted. If you look purely at tax rates, there is very little difference. In the UK, every individual benefits from a personal allowance, which enables them to earn £12,570 before they start paying tax. After that, tax is applied at 20% and then gradually increases up to 45%. French residents don't have personal allowances, but the first €10,777 of income is taxed at a zero percentage rate, which broadly achieves the same result as the individual allowance in the UK. Just like the UK, France then taxes income at banded rates, which start at 11% and gradually rise to 45%. So on the face of it, both income tax systems are very similar. However, that's before you consider the French part system. 
In France, income tax is calculated on a household business, not an individual basis, as is the case in the UK. Under the French foyer system, the household's income is added together. That figure is then divided by the number of people in the household and the household's income tax liability is then calculated using that amount. The French system levels out the income's household. Sorry, the household's income, put my teeth in. So if you have a family with, say, one breadwinner earning €60,000 and there are two parents and three children, the income tax will be calculated on €15,000 and the highest rate of tax that will be paid is 11% compared to the UK when some of that income would have been taxed at 40%. From a fiscally point of view, is France an attractive place to retire to? Um. Being such a financially attractive place to live is probably one of the biggest surprises most people, especially Brits, discover when they start to consider if it's viable for them to retire to France. It isn't helped by the British press, who frequently carry stories such as tax freedom days, which don't really take a balanced view, and it tars every resident with the same brush. I'm sure this will change and evolve in the future, but most couples who have retired or will retire in the next 10 to 15 years One of them, usually the husband, will have a much greater retirement income than their spouse. This is frequently due to the spouse having dedicated a substantial period of their working life to bringing up their children. Like many people, my wife and I took a conscious decision. When our kids came along, my wife would run the domestic side of of our family while I would go out to work and fund the business of running a family. The downside to that sort of partnership is the imbalance of income and in later life, pension credits. We frequently meet couples who are retired or planning to retire, where the husband has built up a substantial social pension income while the spouse has a paltry private or company pension and doesn't have a full state pension because they've not contributed for the requisite 35 years. A couple I met recently were weighing up if they should move to France. Their joint retirement income was around £84,000, which was a combination of company pensions, a couple of annuities and two state pensions. Unfortunately, the bulk of the income was paid to the gentleman. His wife was receiving pension income of just £8,000. Now, in the UK, over £25,000 of the husband's 76000 of income was being taxed or is being taxed at 40%. That part of the tax bill alone amounts to over £10,000 a year. In France, using the foyer part system, utilising the 10% abatement, and the beneficial tax treatment of annuities, their overall household income liability will be less than £3,000. That's a year. So from a pure income tax comparison, if that sort of analytical comparison strongly influences your will we, won't we move to France decision, it was for that reason that this couple believe it is now a no-brainer for them. Can British retirees still apply for an S1? Absolutely, Howard. It's still one of the most valuable things every British expatriate needs to consider. These days, we are seeing more and more people focusing on getting their visas so they can actually move to France. Then once they're here, then turn their attention to their financial planning and the financial planning that needs to be done. That is actually causing some serious financial issues because there are things that need to be done before you arrive and others things that need to be done after you arrive. We should never underestimate the benefits of an S1 or the fact following Brexit the UK is still in the European S1 system. For me, it was probably the most important everyday life agreement that the UK has so far negotiated with the EU. Having an S1 means you don't have to pay for your 
for your costly medical insurance. It also means you don't have to join or pay into the French Puma healthcare system. Not having an S1 requires you to contribute 6.75% of your taxable income to Puma to cover your healthcare costs. So if you're not a burden on the on this French state, that's what they're happy with. If you have an S1, the UK will pick up on those costs because if you still lived in the UK, you'll be entitled to free healthcare because of the national insurance contributions you paid during your working life. The other major advantage of having an S1 is the exemption you are granting which suppresses French social charges. It exempts you from paying the 9.1% pension social charge and you won't pay the investment social charge which should be 17.2% on any of your investment income. Has the abolition of the lifetime allowance created an opportunity? Um, yeah, it, it was quite a shock. Um, when it was when it was abolished, there, there have been plenty of rumours in advance of the spring budget that the UK Chancellor would substantially increase the threshold, maybe back up to 1.8 million. But he caught everybody out when he totally abolished it. All the opposition parties were caught short, and as you would expect, they all immediately promised to reinstate it as soon as they were elected, and that's they all believe at the next election. Right now, the Tories don't look like they have a chance of being re-elected, but they. Uh, they don't need to call an election, despite what I said earlier on, actually until the 28th of January 2025. And as we all know, a lot can change in 20 months. However, whether there's a, an outright Labour win or the UK ends up with a coalition government, all the opposition parties have called this abolition a tax break for the rich. So it will probably return. Before that happens, we all have a fantastic window of opportunity to very simply avoid a 25% tax charge, which will be charged on monies we have all worked hard for all our lives while we accumulated our pensions. The lifetime allowance tax charge was a tax that was applied when our accumulated pensions exceeded a threshold, which was totally at the behest of the UK government. At its peak, you could have accumulated pensions that wouldn't incur the charge unless your combined funds exceeded 1.8 million. Over the past few years, that threshold was slashed to a little over £1 million, and if you exceeded it, you paid 25% on the excess if it was drawn down as an income, but 55% if it was taken as a lump sum. The tax charge was triggered when you crystallise your pension. Crystallising was or is an exotic way of describing putting your hand in your pension pot or pots and starting to take the benefits. If you have any UK pensions, you now have an opportunity to crystallise them before the lifetime allowance is potentially reinstated. Or if it's appropriate, do as you've done yourself and move them away from the UK and beyond the meddling and tax hits a future UK government could very easily apply. Last week you mentioned Holland doesn't have capital gains tax, but France does. That must be a negative. Um, there, are, there are several countries, even European countries such as Holland, who don't tax capital gains. But those countries all generate their tax revenue from other sources. If that wasn't the case, I'm sure Max Verstappen would still be living in Holland with his legion of adoring orange-clad fans who all seem to have descended on Monaco this, uh, this weekend, rather than living in Monaco as Max does. If we look at individual taxes in isolation, it's easy to compare one country's position to another, but that doesn't give you the bigger picture. You need to take a holistic view from an overall perspective, or we won't get a balanced view, and we probably need to get a little bit more forensic. If we compare two countries who both tax capital gains, 
Capital gains tax is called the same, let's say, in France and in the UK, but the way it's applied in either jurisdiction is completely poles apart. The UK has capital gains tax allowances. France doesn't, so that's a tick for the UK. French main homes are sold capital gains tax-free if they are sold while they are main home, but UK main homes are taxed on an apportionate basis, so that's a tick for France. If you sell a UK property that isn't your main home, you benefit from the capital gains tax allowance, but the balance is all liable to capital gains tax, whereas the capital gains tax on a French property, which is not your main home, tapers to zero over an ownership period of 22 years. Now, depending on your situation, that could be a tick for the UK or a tick in the box for France. What I think this illustrates is the need to take a, whole, a totally holistic view. If you're living in France or considering a move to France, you need to have a strategic financial plan. That plan needs to be regularly checked and updated to make sure all its component parts remain appropriate as things develop and change. From a tax perspective, is it better to fall off your perch in the UK or France? <laughs> a wonderful way of putting it, Howard. Uh, the, the simple answer to that depends on how or if you have your affairs arranged for that event. Now, what I mean by that is far too many people put off planning for the final event because they don't want to think about it while they're alive. Now, if you don't make arrangements such as making a will in the UK or holding your investment assets in an assurance fee if you're a French resident, your estate or your nearest and dearest could quite easily pay more tax than they need to. And maybe more importantly, who you want to benefit when you're gone might not be the case. From a pure payment of tax perspective, in the UK, once your, once your estate exceeds the inheritance tax threshold, Whoever benefits from your estate, their inheritance will have experienced a flat 40% tax charge. In France, it's the beneficiaries who pay the succession tax, not the deceased estate. And that tax that is charged depends on the relationship between the deceased and the beneficiary. If the recipient is not of your bloodline, they will pay 60% on what they inherit. Children, on the other hand, can receive €252,500 tax-free from each of their parents. So if there are three kids and their parents' estate is worth a million, a million and a half euros, potentially the children won't pay any succession tax. That said, without prior planning, that one and a half million could easily be exposed to at least a 30% tax charge. So in a nutshell, having the right arrangements and arranging your affairs in the best way possible can make France a tax haven, as we explained at the start. But if you leave it to chance and you will be like millions of other people who pay too much tax because they simply didn't or couldn't find the time to invest, actually I would say, in themselves. So to understand if your financial situation could be improved, call Blevins Franks and arrange to speak to one of our local Blevins Franks partners. The initial discussion is complimentary, so it won't cost you a penny to actually speak to us. The telephone number of our Valbon office is 0493 that's 0493-001780. Now, if you live in Monaco or visiting our Monaco office is more convenient for you, our number here in Monaco is 97775574. That's 97775574. And if you'd like to learn more about Blevins Franks or get in contact with us, please visit our website, which is www.blevinsfranks.com. Many thanks. Always a pleasure. We'll have another NASA on Sunday. Absolutely. Enjoy your week, Howard. Many thanks. 
The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this program, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493001780 or Riviera at BlevinsFranks.com. True cross border financial planning expertise. With offices and advisors across France and the UK. Blevins Franks provides integrated international wealth management solutions. Whether you're living in France or moving here, returning to the UK, or weighing up where to be tax resident, Blevins Franks can help. We have extensive knowledge of the French and UK tax regimes, how they interact, and tax planning opportunities. Visit BlevinsFranks.com to contact your local office.